2, uh, we, uh, we looked at that easy text, that text that we are so familiar with last week, uh, when Peter had given this tremendous sermon, and he said to these people, you killed Jesus. It was prophesied about, the Spirit testified that He is indeed the Son of God. He had risen from the dead. We are eyewitnesses. You guys are in trouble. And luckily they had good hearts. Luckily they looked at the evidence and they said, okay, we need to do something about this. And so they asked the great question, what shall we do? That's very important. Not how must I feel. They were already feeling bad. They were already repentant. The text says that they were cut to the heart, which is what we want to have. I just uh, received a call from a, a guy that has come out of prison, and he's on his way to Reading, California, and he, uh, I don't know what he did, but he said that he was picked up by some Mormons today, and they took him in. Um, they, he didn't have to go into the worship service, but he sat outside in the, in the foyer. <laughs> this is a weird experience it must have been. And then he says they, they put him into a hotel for tonight, and, and he said he's on, he's on his way back to, to Reading to go fix things with his wife. And he says, but his wife is looking for true fruit of repentance. That was his words over the phone. And he, he, he's got to find a way to prove to his wife that this time he's legit or he's not going to do it again. I don't know what he, what he did, you know, or if he shot someone or, I don't know, crashed the car or whatever. But that, that I think, is... Is legit, isn't it? That his wife requires that and says, okay, so what's happening in your heart? Prove to me the fruit of your repentance. And these guys certainly seems to have proven that the genuineness was there, especially when Peter said to them, okay, you guys want to know what you've got to do. Um, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This wasn't an easy thing to do because he, it's, it's to be done in whose name? The name of Jesus Christ. The people in Jerusalem, they did not think the name Jesus Christ meant anything. He's a guy that's cursed, that hung on a tree. Now you have to go, like, you know, walking down the hill to the river to get baptized. The crowds are looking at you. The, your family member hears about this. Are you going to be baptized into the name of the guys that wore, the guy that wore rags and was put on the cross recently? That was a big deal. That baptism was important. That baptism would separate them from everybody else. It was a big deal. And they did it. And that, I think that's why Peter made such a big emphasis on that. Now we have the establishment of the kingdom. That's essentially what we have here. We have now the church. The church comes to life. The church is birthed. And it becomes an important text for us to look at, and it's a text that we know very well, and it's luckily a text easy to discuss and to, to preach. And there's a few things I'd like us to unpack in this, because for the first time, we have a description of what the church looked like. For the first time, we have a description. This is the youngest church. This is the brand new church. That's what it looked like. It's like you buy a, a, a car, a brand new car, 10 years later, you've forgotten what it looked like and smelled like. The first time you drove it out of the parking lot. Or the shoes. The shoes you were so excited about. And then three months later, they don't smell the same anymore. That's unfortunately to a large extent what the church has become. The church doesn't really smell 
like the same first century. It doesn't look the same way that it is. And I thank God that Luke wrote it down. It's like, I don't know who recorded it or who is sitting on the steps and, and saying, okay, we need to um, paint the picture of what the first century church looked like. That, that was, was Luke actually witnessing this himself? Um, or did he hear it from guys who were, who were there? We're not sure. It doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit gave it to us. This is what the church looked like. And you know the beautiful thing, and I don't know how often we think about this, the, but the church of Christ. I don't know how well we know the church of Christ. But what happened was, and I'll give it in a nutshell, because lots of people ask me this when I meet them outside of the church, they, is you had all of these people coming from Europe with the, to, to the new world. This great place, this land that has been discovered, that is limitless, where people can break free from the shackles of, of whatever was happening in Europe. And people came from all of these different types of countries, and they came to settle here. And if you go into Europe at that stage, you will see, well, England, they had one church. It was the Church of England. The Romans had which church? They, they predominantly had the Roman Catholic Church. The Germans had the, the Lutheran movement. and and the, 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 the Dutch had the, the Calvinists. And so all of these people come from countries where there's basically just one church. Then they arrive here in America and suddenly they, there's a bunch of different churches. Because this is a free place. So everybody bring their church. And you know it's interesting when you drive down the roads of these towns? It's still exactly the same. This is such a deeply rooted Christian place if you think about it. historically. Not necessarily in practice, but historically. This is a huge Christian nation founded on Christianity. Because these guys brought all of their religion with them. And this is the beautiful thing about the, the establishment of the Church of Christ, which I, I find pretty, pretty beautiful, is that I do believe that it was Holy Spirit inspired. Because some guys stood around, they, they looked at this division between these churches, and they said, hey, how can we, how can we unite all these guys? So if you, if you want to summarize this whole thing, is they said, okay, so we need to get all of these churches together. We need to get these Calvinists to forget about Calvin and, and the Lutherans to forget about Luther. And, and we need to break down these shackles that was created, these walls that were created by, by people. How are we going to do that? Well, there's only one way to do it. We've got to go to the Bible. Let's get everybody just to do what the Bible says. And so they established all of these mottos, right? Like one of the mottos was unity in truth. The way that we're going to be unified is through the truth and through the scripture. And so we just go to the Bible. And so they had this idea. They said, okay, so if we just go to the Bible and we look just at the Bible as to what this church looked like in the Bible, we'll know exactly what we've got to do. And then we cut off all the other man-made things and then we end up with the church of Christ. So if we have to choose a name, we go to the Bible. Well, Romans 16, 16, the churches of Christ salute you. Okay, that's going to be the name, Church of Christ. And so they did with everything else. To our dismay, one of the things that they came up with was, well, nine times in the New Testament it talks about worship, and all nine times it was without the use of instruments. Therefore, we're going to sing without instruments. Do you see where the problem came? Unfortunately, this movement that was established in such a beautiful way ended up 
uh, with lots of schisms and different churches and different, I mean, there's now Disciples of Christ, International Church of Christ, Boston Movement, Church of Christ, Instrumental, Church of Christ, Non-Instrumental, all of this stuff, because unfortunately human beings are part of the process. But initially it was started by the Holy Spirit in good motive. It was good motive. How do we get these people together? How do we all get together under one roof and worship the same God with respect for the Scriptures? Now, in contrast, look at, for example, the Mormon religion. What is the problem with the Mormon religion? Well, this, this is it, and this is the beauty. This is the beauty. The Mormon religion was started by one guy who saw tablets. One guy. Now, here's the restoration movement. What's interesting when you go read the history is it wasn't just Alexander Campbell and, he, and, and, and Thomas Alexander that started the Church of Christ. No, it was, there was Barton Stone and the Campbells. And at other places in America, the same idea emerged. How are we going to unify everybody? Just through Scripture. Now, when you have multiple people in different places coming up with the same thing, what do you think? That's spirit-driven. It was spirit-driven. And it was powerful because the Church of Christ is genuinely... It's got a rich, deep history and a deep um, um, footprint in this country. And they've spread that throughout the world. And I think we can be proud of it. We can be proud of our heritage. Now from the beautiful, and that's why, that's why we call that the restoration movement. We're trying to restore the first century church. We're trying to be like the first century church. I think the, the, the problem that, that occurred is that they, they thought too much about the form of the church. And too little about the content of the church. So it's all about the rules of what you do inside the building. That was the essential thing that I think developed. Instead of saying, okay, let's focus on the heart of the church. What was it all about? And so we're going to read the text tonight. This text we're reading is sort of, if you look at this through the 18th century restoration movement eyes, it was sort of saying, okay, so we need to be legal according to these verses. We need to do this. If there were five acts of worship here, we need to have the five acts of worship. You see, it's all about form. And I think many times they've neglected to look at the heart of what was going on in the spirit of, of this church. So with all of that said and done, we have this privilege tonight to go to the origin and to read what does this church look like. Let's read it. This is what the early church looked like. This is the first writing of the first church that existed on the planet. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, we can unpack these verses in, in different ways. And I tried to sort of, so that we can compare ourselves to this. The first question I would like to ask is, what did they do? So here they are now, brand new Christians. The first church on earth. What did they do? 
Now, there's a word that comes up a lot. Did you see it? Devoted. They devoted themselves. What does devotion mean? When you devote yourself to something. I'd like to submit, I think I would say it like this. It's unrelenting commitment to something. Unrelenting commitment to something. The two most powerful things, you know, I watch sports people and you see people's talents. Um, people that are unrelenting are generally the successful people. An unrelenting person, a relentless person is a person who keeps fighting. He never gives up. So I would say relentlessness together with grit. Grit is hard work and suffering. You don't give up. Relentlessness and grit together, I would say, is devotion. You totally committed, and you're not going to stand back. You've made up your mind. This is what you're going to do. So they were devoted, and they were devoted to, I picked up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven things that they were devoted to. Seven things that they were relentless about. Number one is to the apostles' doctrines. The Greek word specifically says to their doctrines, to their teachings, the apostles' teachings. Why do you think that they were devoted to the apostles' doctrines? Well, if you read the text, if you go back to a few verses, it says, verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. This is key. This is very key. Because if you see somebody raise somebody else from the dead, you'd probably think this guy is connected to God in some way. So when he says something and he teaches us, I suspect it's a good idea to listen to him. I think we need to be devoted to the guy who, who um, just made this guy see who's never seen in his whole life. Okay, I think we need to listen to that guy. These guys received these signs so that they could be authoritative doctrine makers in the early church. And the church understood that. So God was clearly speaking through them. That's why you listen to them. In the same way, you can look at some church leaders uh, that have popped up over the years. Like, for example, I've used Joseph Smith as an example of the Mormon faith. I mean, he didn't perform the type of miracles the apostles did. Why should we believe his word? It's totally different than the apostles. The apostles were multiple people. There were multiple men performing these um, um, miracles. So, so we must be unrelenting when it comes to the apostles' doctrines unrelenting and what i've picked up in the in the churches across uh, the world is that people tend to not take the word that serious like we, we think of all kinds of ways to get around things when society is not happy with the 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 information in the text like for example let me um, um let me pick an an example um it's a wait, let's use a, a very simple uh, the the baptism one in acts chapter 2 verse 38 and so I would like to say to somebody that's like a, that's like a Christian says, well, the, the, the baptism is, is, is not that important. It's not, it's not really part of the gospel or anything like that. I'd say, okay, so if all the apostles that were there on that day, okay, if they were there and they heard Peter say this and they agreed with Peter, if they were in this room right now, would you tell them to their faces, you guys are talking nonsense, man. I don't really agree with you guys. These are the witnesses of the resurrection. These guys carried the signs and the miracles with them. How could you debate with what they say? If they said it, that settles it. 
I had a young lady one day that said to me, Yo, do you think that these 3,000 people all marched down to the river like, you know, like minions and got baptized? I said, well, I don't know. Maybe they did. Maybe they were in a, in a river. Maybe they, it was in a dam. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say it. But the text says that they were. Now, I don't know what you make of that. You want to cut it out of your Bible. I don't know what you're going to do with it. But it's there. So I appreciate the early church. They said, we are devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, it's easy for me to talk tonight about the issue of baptism, for example. It's just an example I pulled out. But there are other things in the, in the Scriptures that we sometimes are uncomfortable about because we didn't grow up with it. We have to be open that we might have some misunderstandings of certain things. We have to be. If we are devoted to the apostles' teaching, we have to grapple with it even if it's uncomfortable for us. Because if we are aligned with the apostles' teachings, we are safe. The moment we are fighting for our own traditions over that of the apostles' teachings, that's when we come face to face with the Holy Spirit. And that's what produces unhappiness in us. So, first of all, they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine. Secondly, they were devoted to the fellowship, the koinonia. And so, these guys, and I think for them it was a really unique situation. We are the only ones in Jerusalem believing in Jesus. The, the, the way that, the, that Christendom has developed in the Western world makes this so difficult because we don't have koinonia with the guys down the road who also believe in Jesus. We don't have fellowship with them. And it's so sad. I think it must be wonderful in the first century to be able to experience this. This church knew we need to stick together because it's cold outside. People hate Jesus. We need to stick together because we need one another. It's tough out there. And so they were committed to this, to this fellowship. Koinonia just basically means common, what we have in common. So if I went to the same dentist as Rod, and we both had a tooth extraction, and we get together here at the, at, you know, in the parking lot, and we talk about our dentist experience, what it feels like when the roots get pulled out. What do we have? We have fellowship in that moment. We have fellowship on the, in, 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 on the topic of the dentist. Because we share that. We've got that in common. These guys had Jesus in common. And that was the most important thing that they had in common. They were humans, but they were Christians. And that's more important. And then thirdly, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, based on my study, I think, I, I, I think um, this does not refer to a common meal. I think this does refer to the Lord's Supper, but the guys are debating about that. Um, bread used to be broken before a great feast was going to happen. And I, and I think in, in this way, the Lord's Supper was taken. Uh, to them, it wasn't just a sip and dip. It, it wasn't the way I think that we do it today. Not that I'm being critical of, of ours, but I think for them it was, it was more tangible and it was more experiential. It was all about Christ. Jesus was real to them. They, they saw the handiwork of the Spirit among them and they wanted to elevate Him constantly as their Lord and they wanted to eat together in His name and they wanted to honor His, his last will. Um, well, part of His last will when He said, do this. At, at the last meal, to have this communion together. And so they wanted to honor this last meal that the apostles had with Jesus. So, so they were devoted to the breaking of bread. They, de they were devoted to prayer. And I've been wondering about this. What do you think they prayed? What did they pray? 
I don't think that they were begging for help because at this point, I don't see them really being persecuted. Afterwards, they were persecuted. But what were they praying for? I mean, everything was going well. Um, I think, honestly, I think they were praying about the mission. I honestly think that's what they were praying about. I would say that's the key thought through the prayer. Oh my goodness, the Messiah. This is deep throughout our Jewish history. The Messiah has actually come into the world. He's died on the cross. He's paid for my sin. This is the end of the Jewish faith. Oh my goodness, I'm released from sacrificing a pigeon when I've sinned. I'm released from these laws and rules that the Pharisees have dumped on top of me. This is freedom. Can you imagine what it felt like for them? I think that's what they prayed about. Lord, help us get this message, this freedom, this liberation into the world. Pray for your mother. You pray for your aunt. You pray for your children. And you say, Lord, help them to be free. They need to be free. This is incredible. The Spirit is at work. I think that's what they prayed. And then, so they were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to meeting together. When was this meeting? Which day was it? Every day. They were devoted. They were relentless in meeting together. And they were devoted to eating together in homes. This was an everyday eating together. Eating together means communion. That's where fellowship happens. We've got something in common. They made time for each other. They were hospitable. Their homes were open to each other. And lastly, they were devoted to praising God. Praise. They were praising God. And this was a natural outflow of joy. You only praise when you've got something praiseworthy on your mind, don't you? Okay. I wonder how are you starting to feel about this? We, have to, we, we can't just look at this and say, okay, well, this is a great, this is awesome. Do we feel like this? Where do we stand on this? Is this our church experience? You see, for the church to be this is far harder than meeting in a room and setting up doctrines. This is far harder. That's why the restoration movement took the easy way out. Well, let's just set the doctrines for the church. We do this, we don't do that. This requires something deeper. How do you, can you get yourself to this point of wanting to pray the whole time? Can you get yourself to this point where you want to meet daily with the people that you worship with? Can you get yourself to the point where you praise daily? Where you devoted in praise to God? Let's be honest. And <laughs> this is real Christianity. Now, a few questions. Do you think that they were told to do this? Because this is how I grew up. I was told, these are the five acts of worship. This is what they did. They studied the word. They took Lord's Supper. They sang praises. And they prayed. And they fellowship. Those are the five things that we need to do as a church because they did it. Good. That's true in a sense. But do you think that after they were baptized, the apostles quickly called them to a hill there close to the waters and said to them, okay, guys, you guys are Christians now. We need to operate like true, the true church now. Um, you guys need to do these five things every day. Get into one another's homes every day. 
have fellowship and you need to praise. Here's a songbook. Were they told to do this or did they naturally do this? Was this the outflow of their relationship with Christ? Or was this a legal thing that they had to obey to please God? You know the answer. It was a natural result of the event of the cross and the conversion from the cross. The worst thing in the world is to be devoted to something that you don't want to be devoted to. This is the most difficult thing about Christianity. This is one of the most difficult things. It's like, come on guys, we need to be devoted to meet together. I don't want to. We need to be devoted to praising God when we get together. I don't want to. We need to be devoted in prayer. I don't want to. We need to be devoted to meeting with one another in homes, eating meals together. I don't want to. I don't like that guy. This is difficult. This is what they did. Now we need to look at what they did and we need to ask the question, all right, sure. Why did they do it? What was happening inside of them? Okay, we'll leave that for now. Secondly, how did they feel? So we can see in the text what they did. How did they feel? Firstly, you know what I picked up there is verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe. That's the first thing. They were filled with awe. And I read it in NIV and I'm like, I would like to see what is the Greek word for this. So I went to the Greek quickly. You won't believe what the Greek word is. The Greek word there is phobos. You know what phobos is? Fear. That's what they felt. Fear. I don't know why they translate it like this. They were in fear. This is where we get the word phobia from. Phobos. Phobia. It's something that you fear. Why did they fear? Well, if Rod stands up and he's just got one leg and suddenly he grows another leg back, I would probably fear as well. If you see the miracles the apostles were doing, you would start fearing because, oh my goodness, God is actually here. This is real. This isn't a game. This isn't, Christianity is not just, it's not a cultural thing. This wasn't created by man. This is created by God. This inspires deep fear. They were scared. Why? Of whom? I think of God. Because when God speaks straight and he reveals himself straight and visibly, there's only one result. You fear, you respect, and you stand in awe. And maybe that's what they wanted to say. So that's the first thing, that they were fear. And then we find a few verses on. That they were joyful. Um, there. They broke bread in their homes, end of verse 46, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They were glad. They were joyful. There was gladness. The Greek says extreme joy. When you looked at these guys, there was no depression. There was no sad face. There was no anxiety. Why? Because their circumstances didn't matter anymore. They found something bigger than their circumstances. They found the Messiah, the life changer. And then they had sincere hearts. Sincere hearts is what the NIV says. And that also doesn't do justice in the Greek. The literal translation of the Greek says singleness of heart. They were of the same, not mind, heart. 
And I, I suggest that maybe that's an argument that we can make one day. We will never be all of the same mind. I know there are, there are scriptures that says that, but it's very difficult for us all to agree on everything. We differ on colors. We differ on car brands. We differ on food. We differ on so many things. But here's the thing. Can we be of the same heart? Can our hearts lean in the same direction that everything about us is about the cross? We might disagree about which bread we're going to break tonight, but we agree that Jesus is it all. There needs to be a singleness of heart. I suggest to you, when people are filled with the Spirit, there's a singleness of heart. Their hearts will be at the same place. So, we've spoken about what they did, and we've spoken about how they felt. Now, another question is, how did they treat, treat one another? Well, it says there, um, in, a, in, in a few verses, we can draw this out. They wanted to be close to each other. Because once a week was not enough, once a month was not enough, they, they wanted to be actually close to each other. They weren't told to be close to each other. They wanted to. They got into one another's homes. They looked for opportunities to be together. They didn't want to be separated. They wanted to be. They wanted to have more of this. More of this meeting. More of this power of the Spirit. More of this talking about how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law. More of this real stuff. And what else did they do for one another? They shared their possessions. And so there was a physical outflow of the spiritual experience. Hey, I don't just want to spend time with you. I want to make sure that you're okay physically. And I will sell my stuff and give it to you. What's, what's yours is mine. What's mine is yours. I hope that we can walk out of here tonight and have that same, same mentality because I want Dana's car. I'm just joking. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I think this is beautiful. And this does not mean that we just give away our stuff that, that we need. But when there's a need, we help. Now, here's the big question. The fourth question is, what was the result? What was the result? And there's two things that stand out for me. Both of them in verse 47. We know what the church did. We know how they felt. And we know what they did towards each other. And here's the result. They found favor of all the people. They found favor with outsiders. People on the outside didn't see them as a threat or a bunch of strange people. Rather, they liked them and approved of them. Why, ladies and gentlemen? Well, what would you do if you see this bunch of people? You're standing on the outside. You look at what they're doing. They're always happy. They're praising the whole time. They don't just rock up at the temple because it's Sabbath or whatever, a feast. They go daily. Oh, they love each other. Oh my goodness, they share their possessions. How would you see that? Who would not look at that community and say, oh, you guys are incredible. You guys are deeply incredible. They loved each other. I don't think there was anything not to like. Secondly, what's the second thing? What happened? The church grew daily. This is rapid growth, ladies and gentlemen. I've not seen growth like that in my life. This is rapid growth. This is daily growth. And here's something that people don't want to hear. We don't want to hear this. 
living things grow. Living things grow. Dying things stay the same. And what is interesting is that God made this church grow. He added the people. So he sent them and he saved them. We can't make a church grow. We can rent a crowd. Yes. We can do open up a skate park. Let people come. We can make people come to a place. But we can't make the church grow. Jesus said, I will build my church. He didn't say, you apostles go and build the church. No. He said, you spread the gospel. You make disciples. But the church, I will grow. Because God is the one working in that guy's heart. You spread the message. He brings the two of you together. Boom, the person is added to the church. Who's done most of the work? Well, the Spirit has worked in you. Jesus did the stuff at the cross, made it possible. He sent that guy to you, and all you did is just use your mouth. We're actually pretty insignificant in this whole thing. Without God, none of it will happen. Now we've got to conclude, and we've we got to say, how does this church compare to us? Well, not just us, just Christianity in general. Most churches don't grow. I think you'd agree with me. Most churches don't grow. The statistics say most churches are dying. And we've got to ask the question, if God is not busy building that church, why not? Why is God absent from that church that's busy dying? This is extremely serious. This is for us also very serious. We have to evaluate it deeply. Like if you look at your body and you, you feel that you're sick and unhealthy, that you don't become better, you get worse, what do you have to do? You've got to find the reason for the symptoms. You've got to find out, well, what do I have? Do I have a boil under my skin and my foot? What is the problem? So that you can go cut it out so that you can be healthy. If the church is not growing, we have to go and evaluate what is the problem. And we have to cut it out. We can't just sit and say, well, no, but it's society. The problem is with society. I've heard that cop out so many times. It's about the heart of the church. And it doesn't start with, oh, we've got to have all kinds of programs and do all kinds of external things. It starts with the heart and the content of the church. If you look at this church, it was about their relationship with Christ. Their relationship with Christ is what inspired them to live changed lives. It's what gave them this joy. It's what gave them this desire to spend time with each other. Because the love was real. That's what the cross was all about. And it's that environment that inspired the community to want to be a part of it. Most churches are frowned upon by outsiders. Why? Because I, I suggest, you know, many Christians have stopped being normal people. Just be a normal person that loves Jesus. I don't think these guys in Jerusalem were suddenly the most holy angels on the planet. They were the same broken people. We have become too religious, too separated from the world. We can be in the world and not of the world. We don't have to be like the world. But we can just be real. Hey man, I get you. I'm a mess too. I've made a lot of messes in my life. 
Great to meet you. Jesus died for you. Let's be a mess together on the way to heaven. He paid for it. The early Christians weren't much different than the Jews, if you think about it. They weren't much different. They still ate the same food. They probably still dressed the same way. They probably went to the same temple still. Well, the text says they did. So if you look at the Christians and the Jews, they basically looked the same. But their loyalties were just different now. We are human. Sometimes we allow our Christianity to elevate us to the point that we don't act, well, we are not, we let everybody else know we're not human. We're above human. We're holy. We're incredible, holy people. And people feel judged. They don't want to associate with us. The only difference is religion, not culture. We are Americans. I'm becoming one. But we're Americans. And we are humans. And we have blood like everybody else. And we have sin like everybody else. We should not ever give anybody the impression that we are more than what they are. The only difference is this. We are forgiven. And we have eternal life. And we have hope. And we should have joy that's inexpressible. And we're not attached to our circumstances. We are free. And clean. Not in our own estimate, but in His. That's the only difference. And I think we need to live like that. Christians today don't really want to be close to one another. Why not? Well, in society, people don't want to be close to each other. People are annoyed with each other. Don't come into my space. You're intruding. You're annoying. And unfortunately, that filtrates into us as well. Because we live in this society. I don't think we need to allow that to happen. I think that sometimes we do share our possessions. I think we do that. I think um, sometimes we are not one in heart. Why not? Because we don't even know each other's hearts. We don't even eat together. And I don't think we are always more joyful than the world. Because somehow we think that our religion, our religiousness earns our way to heaven. And so we're working to get to heaven instead of just being happy and relaxing and saying, yes, I am going to heaven. And I think to a certain extent we've lost the fear of the scriptures that the apostles has given us. And I'm not saying us, just when I say these statements, I'm talking about Christianity in general, not just us. It's just personal. Okay, now how can we fix this? Let's say tonight, we feel as a church that in some ways we need to catch up to these guys. That's the true restoration. I've got three things that I think we can do based on my understanding. Number one, Get into the Word. Get into the Apostles' teachings. Don't avoid it. Get into it. There is power there. There is stuff in there that can change your life. The literal writings of the Apostles that walked with Jesus on the pages of these books that we carry around and that collect dust in our, on our shelves. Don't avoid it. It can change your life. It's changed the lives of thousands of people. Number, that's number one. Number two, make Time to spend with Christians. Make the time. Don't just let it happen when it does randomly happen. Make the time. Seven days in a week. What about choosing one day to connect with another Christian? Just one day. You'll be surprised how people spur one another on towards love and good deeds by just connecting. The thing is, we don't make time. And it's something we can do. And lastly, eat 
with Christians as often as possible. Today was great. It was wonderful in there. Eating, talking. When you eat, I don't know. It's just good. We need to eat more together. It's a lot more fun. The conversations get a little bit more interesting than just your husband every time, right? Karen? <laughs> All right. Any questions or comments on this text? All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that we have this great illustration of the early church. Yes, and it sets a high standard. And definitely tonight, we don't want to look at this text and say, okay, now we need to legally become like this church. Father, tonight we are asking the question, why is it that we don't naturally do what these guys did? Why is it, Father, that our hearts are, have developed in this way where we don't really want to spend time with each other, where we don't naturally want to praise you, where we don't have a permanent gladness about our lives? Why is it that we are not devoted to the apostles' teachings? Father, and this touches deep into our hearts, and it is individual, and it is spiritual, and Father, so we ask that you would speak into our own individual, personal lives tonight. And help us to make this text our own. And help us to become like these first Christians. These brand new Christians. This brand new church father. Help us to develop naturally into becoming that through your spirit. I suspect father that the reason why they were so alive. And they were so um, pumped up for you and for your will. Was because they were focused on the mission. They wanted the world to know about this. And your spirit was working among them because that's where, they, that's where their mission was. That's where their hearts were. Father, help us to adopt the same mission. Help us to understand the mission, Father. Help all of us, help this whole church to understand in our minds what this is really about. That it is about your son connecting with people who are lost and broken and us being tools in that process in order to help them to see the light that could save their lives on earth and give them eternal life as well. Help us to understand what it means to be a part of that process and to break free from just playing church, doing church, and these, the, the man-made aspects of the system that we've come to know. Help us, dear Father, to take our Christianity beyond the borders of the walls of this church, to reach out to people and to help them to be disciples, the people that you would send our way. And we ask that you would send them. And that you, we ask you, Father, that you'll, you'll put the words on our lips to know what to say to them. And that you'll help us to have the courage to actually just open the text and learn for ourselves. And not be just dependent on others to do this. Because therein, Father, I, I know that's where the power lies. Thank you for this revelation in your word. Thank you that your spirit can come and live inside of us. And I ask you, Father, that you'll breathe some gasoline into our hearts so that the spirit can, can grow. And come alive. Because sometimes our religiosity and our, um, our busyness with our own lives and our, our, our mindfulness on all kinds of other things just dims the power of the Spirit in our lives. And we ask forgiveness for that. May your name be glorified through our lives this week. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.